Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I am back with episode 188. My goodness, four years later, I'm still doing this amazing podcast and it still feels new every single time I have an amazing conversation with someone. How many times can I say amazing? I think I can do it even more because I have some amazing news for you. Um, something cool that's going on in the DeBoom household. Somebody's coming out of hiding. Tim DeBoom. He's been hiding <laughs> for pretty much the entire 25 years I've known him. And I just realized, as I said that out loud, that that is more than half of the years that I have been alive. I have shared a life with this incredible human. Um, Tim is deep. He is sometimes dark. He is sometimes light. He has a lot of valuable information that a lot of people have been dying to learn about over all of these years, especially when he was racing and winning the Hawaii Ironman World Championships, which of course, when you're racing, you're never going to share your secrets, but it's been many years now. It's been well over a decade since he was in his prime and he spent a lot of time doing a lot of soul searching and trying to figure out what's next and taking one step forward and one step back or two forward and one, I don't know how many forward and back, but the point is he has finally reached a point. The point is that he's reached a point (laughs) when he's ready to share a little bit about his life and his world and I support him in that. I mean, you know me, I'm an oversharer. Don't expect that right away, but he's got his own style. I mean, we are very different creatures. Let me tell you that. And if you listen to my previous episode with Deborah Silverman, astrologer, you will know that we alluded to the fact that we often attract into our lives the people who have the very different elements than, than we ourselves have. So Tim and I are a match for many reasons, um, but one of which is not that we are the same. We are very, very different. And it's been really cool to watch Tim evolve and hit this point where he finally said, I'm ready. I'm ready to hit send on an email. I'm ready to put myself out there into the world. So what he is doing is a project that he calls a dedicated life. Um, The man still looks like he could win an Ironman. And so he really um, wants to share some of the things that he has found valuable that have led him to ultimate health and at the end of the day, happiness in his way. So if you are interested in learning more about Tim DeBoom, go to his Instagram. First of all, follow him at Tim DeBoom. Very easy. Actually, follow me too. Why don't you guys follow me on Instagram? Nicole DeBoom. In fact, you're probably listening on your phone right now. So hit pause really quick. Go over to Instagram. Follow Tim DeBoom. Follow Nicole DeBoom. Okay, come back on. 
So when you go to Tim DeBoom, you are going to see a link in his bio. And if you're on my Instagram, you'll see it in my little link tree. Sign up for Tim's newsletter. That's it. He doesn't know how often he'll send them out. He's not going to spam anyone because if you signed up, you signed up. And uh, he's going to let you into his own private secret world, which is really, really cool. So get over there and support my husband. He's doing cool stuff. All right, you guys. Now, back to the show. Back to this other amazing creature that we are about to have an incredible conversation with, Tasha Edwards. So I, I reached out to Tasha sometime, I think in July of 2020. I didn't really have a topic in mind when I discovered her. I just knew that I needed to talk to her. And it came from the power and the passion in her voice. Um, but it finally has hit me. I wanted to talk to her because she's on the journey. You know, I think we don't share enough stories from people who are literally in the middle of the journey. We like to share stories from people who have been enlightened, who've gotten there, you know. (laughs) Tasha is a work in progress, as we all are. And it's a good reminder to all of us that the journey really doesn't end. There is no there. There may be the beginnings and ends of chapters, but we're still rolling, moving, and evolving Her overriding mission is to help women connect back to their power through movement. And she uses the phrase connect back because women have always had the power. They just lose the connection to it sometimes. Tasha is a force. She is powerful. She's got angst. She has and shows us hope. And her word for 2021 is power. All right. Let's get her on the show and revel in that power. All right, we're here. Tasha, we finally hooked up. I started like reaching out to you this summer. We actually, a friend of mine who's a writer included you in one of her stories. Her name's Pam Moore. And she was like, Nicole, you have to connect with Tasha. Yeah, I'm actually talking to Pam in a couple of hours. (laughs) Oh, no way. She's starting a podcast. Are you going to be on her show? No, it's for, um, it's for an interview. Uh, I mean, for a a piece that she's writing. Well, this is serendipitous. Here we go. Full circle. Yeah. Months later. It's funny. funny. I know because I was really like, you know, putting effort in this summer and like, really you were at top of mind. And uh, yesterday I was like, you just had a birthday, like a couple months ago. You're like, my birthday was in July. I'm like, well, yeah, that was a couple months ago to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Six months ago. Yeah. It, 45 has, has been heavy and it has been slow and fast simultaneously. If that, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in those places where you're running in place, but you're, you feel like you're running in place, but you're actually going somewhere. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. It's very crazy. It's very crazy. You know, you've got an incredible like fitness journey that's led you to the place of being a big voice in women's fitness empowerment and health empowerment, body love empowerment, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it might be kind of cool to start with quoting a post you put out recently. So by the way, you're the master of the Instagram post. You can throw <laughs> down some powerful words. Thank you. I Thank mean, you. I- it's fun to follow you and I, I'm encouraging 
everybody listening to make sure they get on because you're almost at 10,000 followers. I am almost at, at 10,000. And I will have to tell you that. And, and for people who are, who are often caught up in the followers and people ask me what I did, I was myself. And what happened was I, for two years, true story, I gained and lost the same 50 followers. I totally did. And of course, um, in June, I, I made a very, very um, emotional but clear Instagram video about the, the racism that sometimes goes unnoticed and, and, and body discrimination in the fitness world. It was about six minutes. And in that time, I probably got like my Instagram was shut down. Like I couldn't even follow people back. I'm still trying to connect <laughs> with people because I probably got 2000 followers in like two weeks. And so that's, but that's just how it goes. And then it's not that I was new to this, but new people were seeing me and like, oh my God, you've got to follow this girl. And it just shows the type of power that we have to say, people who follow me really like me. And if I say something, people will take it to heart. And I think that's for, for most influencers, yourself as well, for when you have people who are connected to you and you recommend something, they trust your word. And, and, and that's what it's been. I've had several people just really step in and go to bat for me. You know, uh, it's a perfect segue to one of the quotes that's going to maybe help set the foundation for today. But recently you did a post where you said, I find myself less eager to work for money and more eager to work for my mission. Mm -hmm. So if we step back and a lot of people listening don't know what that is, what is your mission? Mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. you can share a little bit about that right now. Um, I basically, my, my whole thing in life is to create space for women to connect back to their power, um, through movement. Movement has been most, most of this entire career. Although my background is that I do have a master's degree in counseling and, um, I am an integrative health coach and quantum coach and all that kind of stuff. But I found that I had to do more than assign squats and lunges. Um, and I, when we talk about empowerment and I say creating space, because I don't believe I can give anybody their power. It's already there. You know, I create space for them to activate it, whether that's through conversation, whether that is through um, some type of movement that either makes them feel good, remembering who they are, not being judged about how they're moving, you know, I mean, I can get technical, but at first I just want people to move and feel supported in that. Yeah. You know, when I think about you, a lot of words come to mind. <laughs> they're all good. <laughs> they're not four letters. Well, some are, but yeah, I think like energy, I think power, I think mm -hmm. angst. And that's mm -hmm. part of the, the real like vulnerable part of who you are. I think hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, you put it together and I'm like, you really connect with people from the head, the heart and the body. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And the body is what we see on the outside. It's yeah. what we literally physically see and what you've had to come to terms with, you know, your own body and yeah. trying to find love for it. But it's, yeah. 
where it all connects and where you find that peace and, and that angst mm-hmm. starts to go away is through the head and heart, right? So you have so much passion and fire. So it's just an interesting, um, I don't know. You're like, you're the whole picture. <laughs> you <laughs> are it. Thank you for that. So, I mean, am I right on with the word angst really hit me because so much of what you put out there is hopeful and sends a message of positive momentum for people, but you often bring it back home with your own struggles. And I think it's important to talk them through a little bit today if you're open to that so people can really relate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very real. And one of the things I never want to be is like a museum piece, you know, where you can look, it's pretty, don't touch. I'm not going to answer your inbox. I'm not going to answer your emails. Now I am slow on responding to all the comments on Instagram. I promise I'm going back this weekend, but I want to be, when I die, I want to be used up knowing that I left nothing on the table. Absolutely nothing. So what else needs to happen for you to feel like you left nothing on the table? Are you trying to get somewhere? Um, I, I think in a way, you know, it would be great to say I want to be Oprah. But, <laughs> you know, right now I am so enjoying this process. Like, like in 2020, most people who had small businesses took a hit. You know, I lost half of my clientele. And, and I couldn't go back to the gym where I had worked, you know, almost 14 years and uh, worried about income. I mean, I was having a good time on Instagram, but I was just like everybody else, like my car note is due this month, you know, that sort of thing. And what I found was that I had time to connect to the people who were left, you know, and while I, I mean, I'm always a conversationalist. I actually had a training session this morning and we spent 30 extra minutes like just talking. And I found that I had to get more creative. And I realized as much as I talked about access, I had to make it happen because I was so busy working. You know, I did something here and there. I've always been in the community, but I had to work. And when I didn't work, you know, as much as I was, I was like, you have this empty space. All that stuff you wanted to do, like I've been trying to start a nonprofit for five years. And I said, okay, you have time to do that. You can teach a paid class that supports you for teaching a free class. You know, so I think where I am is really trying to find that balance because access is everything. And so there are places I wouldn't be in fitness if I didn't have access or, or scholarships or somebody saw what I was trying to do and said, you know what, I'm going to help you. And so I want to be that same person paying it, paying it forward, paying it backwards, you know, investing in people as people invested in me for me to get where I am. So that's where I want to go. I want to be in a position to offer people tangible things, not just hope, but if I'm saying you'd be a great fitness instructor, but you don't have the money to pay for the certification, the insurance, the renewal, the CECs, then I want to be in the position where I can just write checks. That's where I want to be. To help people. And how cool is that? Absolutely. Um, You know, the topic of accessibility is huge and, you know, you are poised to 
really, I think, share some good insights on it because mm-hmm. you grew up in a situation where fitness and a healthy lifestyle wasn't necessarily the top priority or very accessible, right? No, it's survival. Survival. <laughs> um, it's, it, yeah. So how, maybe you could share a little bit about like when you were young, was fitness at all, even in your periphery was, you know, tell a little bit about that narrative. Um, I, I spent my whole life first through 12th grade in magnet schools, which gave me a little bit of a lift as opposed to the people who were in my neighborhood. So, you know, I had access to dance. I had access to swimming um, at one time. And I don't know if this is still true. Illinois, because I grew up in Chicago, Illinois was the only state that required PE for all four years of high school. So my first two years of high school, I took dance and PE every day, literally every day. And I think from an athletic standpoint, like my dad is a basket. I mean, my dad loves basketball. And so I spent my childhood watching him, you know, in the park, at the local church. I watched him my entire life. You know, my sister played basketball for a while. And, you know, in PE, we did square dancing. We did climbing ropes. You know, we did all of that stuff. And I was an avid double dutcher. <laughs> Love that. I mean, what's up with the square dancing, though? That was so yeah. awkward. Yeah, it was. I still remember <laughs> who my square dancing partner was. Um, but yeah, and so, but not in the terms of, of fitness, like what it is now, you know, like my daughter is a sprinter. She goes to two different trainers, you know, and, and so to have access like that, like there were no um, YMCA's like there was one by my house, but I didn't know what the YMCA was, you know? And so I went to what's now the boys and girls club. And when I was nine, nine or 10, I started a dance team. (laughs) Nine or 10. You were a born leader. Yeah. But I, but I never saw myself that way, you know, because I felt behind because all of the girls at my school, I was going to school with people who had money. And so they went to all the local dance schools and I wrote letters. I mean, I begged and asked them, you know, do you have scholarships? All I want to do is dance. That's all I've ever wanted to do. And I didn't get them. And so I had to take what I had. And I don't know what made me step into this role. You know, my, my friends still laugh about that. You know, they were like, you know, I was a, the, the hood Debbie Allen, you know, because I made up all the dances I told when we were going to have practice, you know, and so we did dance and, you know, I've never considered myself athletic. And so, you know, kickball and, and, and some softball, but I've never played an organized sport ever in life. I mean, okay. Couple things. So I grew up in Chicago too, suburbs. Very different really? experience. Totally. Yeah. I'm from Downers Grove. I went to Downers okay. South. Okay. And okay. I was a swimmer and a runner and, you know, did the stuff. And, um, and it's crazy because, you know, you grew up in the city, South side, right? Absolutely. And, um, I mean, basically I was told, 
yeah, you don't want to drive through the South side. I mean, these were our experiences and I recognize that. And, you know, I was always a little bit confused, but also like intrigued. Like I wanted to understand more about like, Mm -hmm. why, why was that? What, what made it so that I, should not feel safe driving through a South side neighborhood. And yet whenever I would get close there, I could feel it in my body. I'm like, I'm not welcome here. It doesn't feel right. You know? And I just wonder if you ever felt that too, just being like, Hey, I'm going to go out to the suburbs. Do I not feel right here? Or was it because your experience of like having the opportunity to go to the magnet schools and have these Mm -hmm. other Op, you know, opportunities to pursue things like dance and swim and things you've been talking about. Did that open your mind in a different way? Um, yeah, it went both ways. So let me give you a disclaimer really quick. Okay. Yep. So when I said the YMCA, my boys and girls club went, so I, I literally, I, this is a story I should not forget. And we had swim lessons and I was pushed in the deep end when I was nine and I didn't know how to swim and I almost drowned. I lied my way through school. I was willing to take an F because I was so terrified to get back in the pool. And so I didn't get into a pool until I was 26. Oh my gosh. So I want to throw that out there. So I wasn't a swimmer. <laughs> my sister was. But the thing about the South Side, the, mm-hmm. the, the misconception is that it's all poverty and it's not. I just lived in that section. You know, there are, you know, if you think the South Shore neighborhood, which is, going towards where Michelle Obama lived and and out that way, you know, or if you think Hyde Park, I mean, President Obama lived in Hyde Park. Mm -hmm. So his neighborhood, which was just a couple of streets over from the hood, was not the hood. And so you hear things like Inglewood, which was a a really rough area. That's where my, my grandma lived. So I basically grew up in Inglewood too. But I think we compartmentalize people you know, and so my aunt moved to Schaumburg when I was in elementary school. And going out there was a fascinating experience because even though I went to magnet schools, the top school in the state at that time, it was still 60% black, you know? And so I don't think I was ever pushed into a position that I was super uncomfortable until I got in the workforce because I went to a predominantly black university as well. And so I think that's when I realized I'm surrounded. Uh I'm surrounded. Um, And I am now the minority for real. And it was almost like a shock to the system because I wasn't prepared to work, to be in a world where white men dominated the space. And it was rough. I'll be honest. I don't like being in a world where white men dominate the space either. <laughs> it, 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 it was, it was rough and it took some, um, adjusting. It took some adjusting, but now I live in what's basically like a suburb. I live in Madison, Alabama, and there have been times that my children were the only black kid in class or one of two or three, you know, it's changing a little bit now, but my children don't feel what I felt because they've grown up in this, you know? Um, 
And, and some of that ha- has come, especially being in, you know, I teach things that quote unquote black people don't teach, which is Pilates bar and yoga. And those experiences of being not just the only teacher. Sometimes when I was at the bar studio, there wasn't a black person in there for weeks, you know? I mean, do you think that very first job, did you stick it out and like get through it and figure out how to deal? Or did that very first job kind of like open your eyes and make you turn away? Um, it, so I, I had, I had two jobs before then, but I was more in a nonprofit. I was in a neighborhood that looked like mine. And so when I went to this job, I knew there was one other woman that worked there and she was black and we worked with all white men. And during my interview, she told me after I got hired that they had given me the worst assignment and had asked, um, asked me questions that they did not ask the men who were interviewing. And so one of the things that I found there was to not be intimidated. And people always use the word sassy, which I kind of hate because I wasn't sassy. I was clear. You know, this is my space. I'm 26, 27 years old. And it was like, I had to learn to hold my ground in meetings. No, did you hear what I just said? You know, like in the most respectful way. But I think if I had not learned to say, these are my boundaries and I am just as I'm sitting here with a master's degree and some of y'all don't even have that. So I, I know what I'm saying. And so, so did Carmen, we're two black women with master's degrees. You're not going to offer over talk us in a meeting. And I think learning that gave me what I use later on in fitness to say, you know what? I adore you. But you, I'm the teacher today. You know, I love this because yeah. those experiences are uncomfortable. I mean, you probably mm-hmm. were in there going, I don't know if I really, if this is the right fit for me or whatever, but you yeah. used it to become stronger and to grow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I had to because they would have run me over. And when I felt like I was in a position that what I brought to the table was no longer respected or they felt like they could look over it. I left. Yeah. I left. And then you went where? So I went into a counseling job for family and children's services, which I absolutely despise. And most of it was because earlier in my career, I worked at the public assistance office. So I was what people in my neighborhood call the food stamp worker. The the title was eligibility counselor. And so I was back in that building. And I refused to sign people up for counseling who did not want it to meet some type of number that they needed. And I was fired for that. Um, They basically set me up to get out of there, but it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I wasn't supposed to be there because I'm not concerned about milestones for United Way, which is what people need to meet to get their money. And I said, this woman does not want counseling. Like, how do you, um, how do you want me to keep calling her and badgering her and telling her she's not going to get her benefits? If I was like, that's not counseling. That's not, that's not counseling. And, um, 
And the other thing is that I was exhausted listening to young black women telling me they felt hopeless and they wanted to kill themselves. That was also very hard. You have four babies and, you know, I still remember those girls' faces like right now. And that was 2002. That was almost 20 years ago. And I can still see their faces and hear those conversations. I mean, was this all planting a seed for you for this sort of greater mission to help women find their power, like you said? Yeah. And it, it, it comes from knowing how the world can open up if you had access to certain things, you know, and, you know, maybe they, maybe they needed counseling, but maybe they didn't need it at (laughs) the, you know, public welfare office even though I, like I said, I have a master's degree in counseling, but maybe they didn't need it there. Or maybe if movement would have helped them, maybe if someone could have just coached them to find, find something about themselves instead of being buried in poverty and parenthood, you know, and, and when I, when I think about the things that I have now, things that I never even heard of. And I'm like, what if, Reiki was available? What if acupuncture was available? What if yoga was available? You know, those type of those type of things, which is why I get super frustrated when people are like, um, if it was important to you, you would pay for it. And here's the thing. If you getting your hair done is the only moment in the month that you get to yourself, I'm not thinking you should sacrifice it for a gym membership. You're trying to stay sane at this point. And sanity, <laughs> sanity comes before Tabata's and, you know, it just does. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Well, and movement is part of the puzzle, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the ways it's in your world. It's the way you help women connect back to their power through movement yeah. because you found that. So if we go, if we kind of continue on the accessibility track, at one point you said, I never really thought of myself as athletic or an athlete, like when you were growing up and you did have access to things because you were, you know, had the awesome opportunity to go to magnet schools yeah, and, and have more accessibility. But you also saw people in your own neighborhood who didn't have that. So you know, yeah. you're probably taking it all in at the same time. As you were growing older, at what point did fitness really enter your life? And did your mind mindset of saying, I'm Tasha, I'm not really an athlete. When did that shift? And when did you own your inner athlete? You know what? I don't know that I've ever made the shift because I still don't see myself as an athlete. Um, my father tried to convince me when I was a senior in high school, my father tried to convince me that dance was a sport. And I looked him in the face and said, but you don't get a letterman's jacket for dance. You don't get that. I want to play basketball my whole life. All I wanted to do was play basketball because my dad played basketball and my sister played basketball. And I just wanted to play basketball. My sister is also 5'10 and I am now 5'5 because I grew an inch in adulthood. So um, I <laughs> just, I just, shrink. <laughs> yeah, I, I just always wanted to. But the, the time that I remember the most was, and me and my husband were dating and, and my weight has been up and down. 
up and down for my whole adult life. And I swore I would never get over 200 pounds again. And I was on a scale and it said 195. And I was like, oh, snap, you know? And so I went to the Y. The Y had what was called Open Doors Program. I was a single mom and I got a discount. I mean, it was still like, to be honest with you, this is 2002. The discount put me at like 40 something dollars, which was really not a discount. And I had to pay for parking. But um, I went to the gym. And the funny thing is that I literally did the exact same routine for six months. Like I didn't know to change the weights. I didn't know anything. I just took the card out that the girl made for me. And I did the exact same weights for six months. I, I started doing Pilates there. And that was it. Like, I didn't know any better, you know? And so I got engaged, married, and pregnant in six months. Okay. So wait, you were, your previous marriage had ended. Yes. You had a child. I did. You had two children. You had one yeah. Well, I, the second one is, is from my second marriage. Okay. So, got it. Yeah. I just yeah. had the one and it was, you know, when I finally got on this journey again, I got engaged. I started the counseling job, which sucked, you know, and then we got married like three months later. And then I was pregnant three months later. And because my pregnancies were considered high risk because I had to have a surplus. So after 16 weeks, I basically couldn't do anything. You know, it was like, I lost all of that. And so when I went back, now I have two children. And now instead of working two jobs, I'm a stay at home mom with a husband who works an hour and a half away from home. And there was a program called, I'll never forget that. It was called Slim and Six. Slim in Six? Slim and Six and Tybo. <laughs> but the desperation in that, which is the other thing that I talk about, was being caught up in weight because here I was in the 150s. And now I've had this baby. Now I'm over 200 again. And that's when that was my second episode of anorexia, because I wanted to be, I wanted to be thin. I wanted to be thin. And I did whatever it was that I had to do, honestly. And so working at the gym, when we moved to Alabama, was basically about me taking my life back and me having something to do. And we had had, my husband had had, I had had a car accident and my kids are kindergarten and six months. And he had to stay at home with me for two days and he was fired for having to stay home with me. So I lost my house. I had filed bankruptcy. Um, and so when I moved here, me having a job at the gym, which was minimum wage, with some commission, I used that money to put my daughter in daycare half time because I was losing my mind and my son, ADHD, he had some issues. So I was always running back and forth to the school, but I still had something and I worked sales. How I got into fitness was that I realized that women needed more than me signing them up for a two-year contract, knowing they weren't going to be back after a month. That's how it started. Yeah. And that's got to be a little bit demoralizing. Like you are someone who is very maybe adamant about your principles, you know? And mm -hmm. so when you realize that, 
you're doing sales for something that you probably didn't quite believe in yourself. It had to feel pretty uncomfortable. It did. I, I hate sales even now. And, but I like, I literally got in trouble for spending more time with people than I should have. So not just sign them up for a contract, but, you know, first workout, you know, you take people through the machine. I wanted to know their goals. And, you know, my boss was like, look, you need to be on the phone calling these people who came to, you know, show up for a, a tour and didn't sign up. Like, that's where you need to be like right now, like you're, you're doing the most right now. Um, and actually my, my boss at the time, I had been there six months and he paid, I started teaching yoga and I remember he and his wife owned the gym and his wife told me she was our group fitness director. That's a lot of money to spend on something that's not in demand in the club, which was yoga. And so that $99 I spent for that eight hour training was a sacrifice, you know? And so I was on eBay at work buying every five cent yoga book I could get. And I, I didn't know about the sacred 200 hour yoga. I had no idea. I just wanted to bring something to the people. You know, I was in there teaching yoga to Al Green and, and stuff. I didn't know. I didn't know people like blowing trees, you know? And so he <laughs> paid for my personal training for, he paid for me to get my certification, at least half of it. And my coworker told me many years later, he, another black woman, he told her, I don't think she's going to make it. Like she's not going to make it in fitness. She's not going to make it. Wait, you weren't going to make it. Yeah. And actually years <laughs> later, actually years later, his wife let me go even from teaching because she said, you know, you're teaching Zumba and yoga. And that's, that's really not what's the, what's in demand in our club. And so this was 2007. And then, you know, what happened with Zumba after that, it basically blew the roof off of mm -hmm. the fitness world. And yeah. So yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I just said. love this. Well, and yeah. I love that your whole path is like, it's constantly evolving. You know, you didn't hit a moment where you're like, no, I am athlete. I will pass on my knowledge. Yeah. You're like, I'm still growing. Even today, I see it in your work. You're just yeah. growing. Yeah. It, you know, I always tell people that I think God is strategic. And so when I lost that counseling job, I ended up, I knew someone who worked at my old job. And she said, I have a friend who runs a nutrition program. It only pays $9 an hour, but it'll give you a job for right now. And I said, okay, you know, here I am. I hadn't even been married three weeks before I lose my job. And I was within a month, within, no, 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 no. Within three months, I went from making $9 an hour to $32,000 a year because I became the director, just like that. And then after my husband lost his job, I worked in an herbs and vitamin store for $5.75 an hour. But if you think about the compounding, like you said, path that I came into the fitness world with this knowledge that I didn't know I had, I had been um, certified my first level of Reiki before I ever even moved to Alabama. I don't know. I was in massage therapy school before we moved and I had to quit. But it was finding these things like this access, you know, this is before you could ask Siri anything. And I think of how I was basically set up for this. Um, I've been writing since my first poem was published when I was five. 
And so writing is something that I feel like I came into the world as a writer and a dancer. And so even though right now with, I mean, Nicole, everybody's a fitness expert right now. Everybody has a class. Everybody has a YouTube channel. (laughs) And so my thing was that I realized after June, after the George Floyd murder, that my voice was more powerful than me teaching someone how to do the 100 on Instagram every day. And I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice. So when people say, I've never seen you teach. Well, I still teach live classes at Club Pilates still. Um, I do smaller classes, friends, small groups, but I don't feel like that's my lane right now. I don't want to post fitness videos on Instagram every day. No knock to anybody, but that's right now, that's not my space. My space is the, the conversation around why we believe what we believe and why are we following who we're following? What is our why? What do we really want in life? And how do we get out of the bed from the depression and the stress of 2020? How do we even get out of the bed to talk about movement? We haven't even gotten out of the bed yet. And you've already given me four boot camp workouts. You know, <laughs> it's, it's the now I'm more depressed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, not going to do them. You know, right. I have to get up first and we have to address that and create space for people to make small steps. No one, I mean, we might wake up and say, I'm going to go join um, Orange Theory. It lasts about two weeks, <laughs> you know, the free and, membership period. <laughs> yeah. But and, yeah. And, and, but how do we connect that this becomes that fitness and movement and health and wellness comes so much a part of our life that it begins to be automatic, like brushing your teeth and washing your face. We're talking about habits here and we're talking about small steps. And I think, you know, there's studies show, we know this movement, exercise, help with depression and negative Mm -hmm. thoughts. Mm -hmm. And they're going to help us find that happy place. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times people stop before they don't even get started because they think if I can't do the whole orange theory thing or I can't do this one hour boot camp class, then why even try? But I think one thing you just said is it's about the small steps. It's about the actual getting out of bed. There's movement involved in the getting out of bed part. So mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, break it down a little bit for us. Like, Somebody comes to you who's like, Tasha, I, I just literally, I can't get out of bed. I'm too depressed. 2020 sucked and I'll never see the light of day again. What do you, how do you, how do you get them out? It's a conversation. My first question would be, tell me more about that because people need to be heard. You know, if you think about a single parent who has been affected by COVID and has three children who are in virtual school, that is enough to make you jump off of a building, you know, and people want to be heard. And so my question is, tell me, tell me more about that. And you'd be surprised at what people will share and what they find. I don't have to do anything. All I did was ask the question and people talk themselves into what's next. And my, you know, and so, What do you think is the best next step, no matter how small it is? Get up and immediately put my clothes on. 
Okay. So when you get up in the morning, instead of standing in your pajamas, you're going to get dressed, even if it's a t-shirt and jeans. Okay. Let's try that and see what happens. You know, something. Yeah. But women, Nicole, that gray area, you know, we're all or nothing. I know we are. And you are a prime example of that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like the flame is just like, goes crazy with you and then you hit your walls or things happen in your life that like really stop you dead in your tracks. And anybody who follows you knows that you've, you've been through a lot. We've all been through a lot, Yeah, you know, it's all relative, but yeah. Um, I think that you counselors are also a little bit sneaky here asking us the questions to make us answer. our own. (laughs) Yeah. Because otherwise that's me dictating your life. I know I, you know, and so it also gives people the space to connect into their own power. Can I help you with the tools? Yes. Can I help you make a decision? No, (laughs) no, this is your life. And you know, a lot of, a lot of us women, we have so much emotion tied to our bodies. It's Mm -hmm. like they're separate from us sometimes, you know, it's like you sit around, you go, Oh, this body that was given to me and I don't like it and I don't want it. And you lay there in bed. And then you think about God, if I get up, I'm going to feel, you know, my butt bounce and my, you know, rolls roll and all this stuff. And, um, I feel like there's, there's this piece that we're also aiming for, which it has to do just with body love you know, not just body image, but body love, loving ourselves. And it's a really hard thing to get to. Very, very. And if I told you I was there 365 days a year, I would be lying. Um, One of the things that I find with my clients is the discussion always goes back to, I used to be able to do, you know, when I was 16, I did this before I had kids. I did this. And one of the the conversations that I'd like to have now, especially with, I was teaching, I used to teach PE at a college, a university. And I always tell my students that habits you're setting up for now, you will not be young forever. You know, nobody talked to me about what was going to happen to my body at 30 or 40 Things that, you know, it's like you see a train coming like full speed ahead and you cannot get off the track. You are about to get ran over, like period. And to be able to grow into that, because if you spend your time in social media, it looks like everybody has their stuff together but you. She's 50 and look at her because they're showing their abs every day. Like that's their good morning. Look at my morning abs. And you start to feel some type of way about yourself, you know, but we're also looking at lifestyle. We're also looking at genetics. Some people are just genetically slim. I tell my 17 year old who has a body like a goddess, if you keep living on hot Cheetos and iced coffee, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, but I also was in a position to demonstrate a lifestyle that my parents could not, not would not, could not demonstrate for me because you can't eat avocados if you don't know they exist, nor do you have access to them. And so it is being um, in your now. 
what can I do now? Like I cannot do flexion for the next six months. What can I do now? Sit on this balance ball and do bicep curls. If that's all I can do today, I've made the effort. And when I start to feel successful with that small step, then it gives me the courage to say, well, what if I tried this? You know, as a fitness professional, it feels like a slap in the face to say, all I did today was three sets of 10 of bicep curls and I was sitting down. And to deal with that, what feels like shame, because I'm not who I used to be, is what makes us stuck. As opposed to saying, I'm about to get the second shot in my back in a month. And the idea that I'm even walking is, is, is God's miracle. Let me go get some coffee and be okay with that. Uh huh. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, totally. And you know, you made a comment somewhere where you said like, I'm on a path towards optimum health. Yeah. And I loved that. I loved the concept because it's not a, I want to get back to where I was and it's open-ended because Mm -hmm. I feel like so many women, especially like to set numbers They like to set Mm -hmm. numbers on a scale too. Mm -hmm. And that can be really mentally, I think, dangerous (laughs) because we get obsessed and we can get stuck. And then what happens when you get there? Then you got to stay there or do you have to surpass it? So this idea of being on a path to optimum health, like maybe Mm -hmm. explain a little bit more what that means to you. So it had to have been earlier this week, I had to go to a neurologist. So this was Tuesday. And one of the things that I did was post my blood pressure. My resting heart rate in general is in the fifties. I was at 60 that day. Like I used to go to the doctor and they would go scrambling because they thought I was getting ready to die because my, it was so my resting heart rate was so low. <laughs> um, my blood pressure is if my blood pressure gets 121 over something, I am freaking out, you know, because between my parents, they basically have everything other than diabetes, you know? And so my idea of optimum health is to be able to stand on my feet when my daughter's running her races and to have clear blood pressure to know what's going on in my body, you know? Now, if I, one of the things, Nicole, the, the reason why I wanted to lose weight is because first of all, you do get obsessed with the numbers. But the finish line, there is no finish line because as soon as you get there, you feel like you need to meet another one. It it keeps moving back. But dancing started to feel hard. And it was for me because I think everybody has what's called a fighting weight. And so there was a part of me where I felt good. But in my mind, I couldn't say I was good because I was still thick. And the world says I should be this. Um, And so optimum health, again, being able to focus brain health, um, heart, diabetes, all these things that I can prevent. The the low iron, the low vitamin D to start paying attention to my mental wellness and I am the best functioning I can be. That's optimal. And when something shifts, then there there is another level, you know, um, to feeling my best. And that just changes from year to year because these forties have been rough, not just stress wise, but your body just changes. It just changes. Yeah. 
It does. It just changes. Yeah. And you know, it's, there's a comparison to everyone else out there, but I think the comparison to our younger selves and this like ideal place and time when we felt like we looked the hottest and the best and whatever, that's even more dangerous. And yeah, there's also a bell curve of age. I mean, you, you know, unless you're just starting a sport when you're 45, I'm 48. I'm freaking, I was up half the night sweating. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm starting <laughs> to enter the big menopause, I think. And like, I was a pro athlete years and years yeah. ago. I will never be that fast again. So there, yeah. because I don't, I will never be a pro athlete again. And so yeah. you, there is a shift you have to come to at some point. So it's like, yeah we're competitive people. We want to look our best. We want to feel our best. We want to have the clearest mind. We want to have the cleanest heart, you know, all of that. But like, it's a moving target because we are living and changing by, by every day, you know? Agreed. And, you know, if you think back to even then, so many of us thought something was wrong. We thought something was wrong with us. Even then we were at our best selves. We thought we should be thinner, leaner, taller, faster, stronger, even then, and now you look at the pictures and you're like, oh my God, I would do anything to be that person again. But you didn't like that person when you were her. You know, it's like it never ends. We've got to shift it to put the spotlight on, on ourselves every single day and be like, today's your best day. It's your best yeah. day ever. Absolutely. And tomorrow's your best day ever. You yeah. know? I, I have a, a friend who, and, 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 um, Gosh, I just remembered her birthday was yesterday and I didn't text her. But when you used to ask, you know, you ask people, what's your favorite day of the, and they're like, oh my gosh, Friday is payday. It's the weekend. And she said, today's my favorite day. Today's my favorite day. And it shifted something in me. Um, Like I actually went and bought a mug and it says best day ever. Oh my gosh. I think we need to hang out. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite quotes. You know, what a great way to start your fitness classes and to remind Mm -hmm. people, you know, I love Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And to just be present, you know, and there are times, especially when I taught yoga and sometimes I've actually done it in Pilates that I tell people to close their eyes and I say, mind your own mat. You know, so if you didn't think anybody was watching, how would you move right now? What would you do? What type of freedom could you seek if you realize you weren't staring at yourself, judging yourself, and you weren't afraid of other people judging you? What's your next step? And to watch that unfold, you know, because people are kind of hesitant, you know, at first. And to watch that unfold is is an amazing thing because we're so intuitive, but we believe other people know more about us than we know about ourselves. And I tell them, I, I don't care how many hours of training I have. I will never be the expert on your body ever in life. Great way to say it. And so it's even more impetus for us to tune into our own bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everybody's not a swimmer. Like I am not a runner. I have tried it. When I ran a half marathon, it was one of the worst two and a half hours of my life. <laughs> That's pretty good, and, actually. <laughs> and I, but I, um, it was hard. And so I tried to force myself to run half marathons again. And the training never went anywhere because I do not like running. I ran as a, as a kid, I was faster than all the boys until I was 
13. And that was the end of my running career. You know, <laughs> that, that was it. And to try to force myself to be a runner because everyone's a runner. No, you know, if it's a goal and I feel like there's something I want to accomplish and maybe two years from now, it'll feel different that I, I, I like running. But as of right now, I don't like it. And so to force myself to run and to say, I'm not an athlete unless I run. It's detrimental to my mind because I feel like a failure because I can't do it and I can't get my mind to do it. And even though David Goggins, I I love him, but I think he's crazy. Um, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) David Goggins says, you know, you should force yourself to do things that you don't like. Maybe, but running is not one of them. Not for me. Not right now. Not right now. You know, I think part of this, there's a whole, part of this whole concept is about letting go. And Mm -hmm. part of it is about opening up. Yeah. And so when these negative things come or these experiences happen, or we've lost someone like let letting go is a process. Yeah. Once you do it, whether it's just in your mind or you, it's a physical move or releasing someone from your life or whatever, it opens you to the next thing. Right. It, it does. And it's, and it's hard, you know, um, there are still days that I grieve the losses, um, the deaths, um, the, the, the trauma of accidents, the even mourning my old self. There are days that are heavier than others. You know, my grandma, my grandma's, you know, transitioned almost three years ago and she has been so heavy on my mind that it's crazy But my thing is when I see my grandma, I think about my grandma was the first person I knew to have a heart attack. And she was like in her fifties, all her brothers died before they were 50 from heart attacks. And I remember, but my grandma always, she walked to the bus stop. She walked down to like, my grandma was always gone. Like she was always like this. And I remember the first time I saw her on a cane and it broke my heart. But I also think about it as toward the end of my, her life, my grandma had to have both of her legs amputated. And, but the picture comes back to me about how do you protect yourself? You watch the habits that she had. Same thing with my aunt who, who died at 49 from a heart attack. I just lost a cousin a couple months ago, 36 from a heart attack. And some things can't be prevented, but I look at those things and I don't want to be that. I don't want my grandchildren to have to take care of me because I lost both of my legs, had a stroke, could no longer really speak or my aunt with the stress and all the, you know, the, the habits, the eating. And as much as it depresses me, it's also that catalyst to say, that's not what you want for your kids. Now, if I get hit by a bus, that's something completely different. But I do not want my children to have to bury me from something I could have helped prevent. Well said. You know, yeah. uh, you are making a lot of change for a lot of people. And, and a big part of that is just being yourself. And I know yeah. you're busy. And I really appreciate you taking the time for me today I want to, I want to just do a little more. Let's look forward, right? 2020 was hard. There was a lot of change. We all had to become masters of change. How many people do you talk to? And they're like, I hate change. I'm horrible at change. Well, guess what? 2020, we all had to work on change. We all had a, 
Yeah. yeah. And, and some of the changes we made to adapt, I think, sucked. And some of them were probably pretty awesome. So I wonder, you know, as we look forward, is there anything from this crazy ass year that you are grateful for that you want to take forward? And, and what are you going to do in 2021 and beyond? Um, I found that I spent a lot of time of my career making other people rich, that I was not valued for what I had to offer. And when I had to take my career into my own hands, I found opportunities that I would have never found working myself to death under someone else's payroll. So that's the first thing is that I did not believe that I had as much power as I do, which was why I said 2021 is the year of my power. Like it is, that's my word for the year is power. And it was having to believe in myself enough to say, get on Zoom because you have something to offer without being worried about, you know, the people I taught, I was comfortable. They didn't judge me. They knew what was going on in my life. It was all good. But now, you know, to say, I have something to offer and to be okay stepping into that arena. Um, And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful that there were things that were closed because I came up with all kinds of ideas about things to eat. I was able to see my daughter a lot more. And in 2021, my thing is to help change the conversation um, from thin to thriving, you know, which are not necessarily synonymous. And that's through movement, that's through speaking, that's connecting to people on a on a personal and professional level in groups and individuals to begin to help shift from feeling like we have to kill ourselves to be important, to get validation from people who really don't like us anyway. Well said. I like it. And you know, you're saying this and you're doing this sitting there in a place with a back cushion, supporting (laughs) your herniated disc. And most people would just be curled up in bed still and, you know, on the pharma pharmaceuticals and doing all this stuff. And here you are, you're out making it happen. Yeah. There's work to do. There is work to do. There's work Work to to do do helping people. And so your nonprofit that you're also going to dig more into this year is called Super Healthy, right? And it's on Instagram. Yeah, because, you know, I think it's a perspective about we have to stop seeing people as broken. People are whole and resourceful all on their own. And if I see a woman that way, then I speak to her to raise her level that way instead of seeing her as somebody I need to fix. She's already healthy. We're just uncovering it in different ways. And so to make things more accessible, um, I think sometimes we get in our life, uh, life of privilege And we literally forget that other people are suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are going to, I'm going to be supporting you. And uh, I think it's going to be amazing. And you are going to help women through this endeavor. And going all the way back to the beginning, you said, you know, you are more eager right now to work for your mission, which is about helping women and people connect to their power. You're doing it. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Well, I'm yeah. going to ask you the final question I ask every guest that comes on our show. Okay. Which is if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? 
Trust yourself. Bam. Yeah. Trust, trust, trust yourself. Your intuition will not lead you the wrong way. You have got to believe that you have the answers that you seek from other people. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Tasha. You're amazing. Thank you. Keep shining that light. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) For sure. Now go get them. Yeah. Yeah. After my second cup of coffee. (laughs) Yes. All right. I am back. And uh, what a power episode. Power is the word today, man. Tasha is, she's just awesome. I think you need to make sure you follow her, Hip Healthy Chick, on all her channels. Um, And if you want to work with her, you can. Just head over to her website and hit contact. Boom. Even if you just want to say thank you for being you, for being authentic and real, I guess that means the same thing, but putting yourself out there. I mean, that's what it's all about. Put yourself out there. When you hide... Nothing really good comes from that. You can't help a soul. You really can't, especially yourself. Um, I love some of the different topics that we went through today. I love the idea that when things fall apart and people fall away from your life, what is left are is the fact that now you have time to connect to the people who are still there. I love that. I think that is so cool. And I also love this concept of optimum health and that it's different for everyone and it's not entirely tangible and it's not about a certain weight. Um, It's really about functioning the best we can be as our bodies are constantly changing, which makes it an ongoing journey. I mean, it's never going to end. Our bodies are always going to be changing. Um, I also love her nonprofit. I know she's going to get it off the ground soon or really get it rolling soon. Make sure you get over to see her healthy on Instagram. Um, I think that is going to be a valuable uh, place for you to put some of your energy. So let's just say that. And I also love her final nugget. Trust yourself. Your intuition will not lead you the wrong way. So everyone... Thank you for trusting me, uh, and hopefully I'm not leading you the wrong way with my podcast, but as always, I'd like to hear from you about any of the ways you would like me to lead in the future, so please reach out to me. I am accessible. I'm on email, Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com. I got my own website, you know. You can check that out anytime, too. It includes not just the Run This World with Nicole DeBoom podcast, but my new podcast, She Runs It, with Sarah Ratzliff, the new owner of Skirt Sports. And by the way, we are, gosh, we are on a tear. We are rocking. We have more reviews than than Run This World, which I've been doing for four years. Um, and we've got some incredible feedback. I'm kind of my usual <laughs> unplanned, um, sometimes ridiculous self. Sarah is a very structured person. And so but yet we connect in a way that I think brings out the best in both of us. So it's a fun balance, um, sometimes hilarious, sometimes kind of deep, sometimes emotional. 
So check it out. She Runs It podcast. Make sure you subscribe to that one too. And finally, I'm going to end this podcast talking about the person that I love the most in this world, my husband, Tim DeBoom. We've been through it all in 25 years, not all, because probably got another 25 and uh, there's a lot more ups, downs, and all arounds to go through. But what we've been through has brought each of us so much growth in our own journeys. And Tim is finally, after all these years, ready to put himself out there into the world. So if you are interested in hearing what he has to say, he is ready to share some secrets. He is ready to share the tips and tricks that helped him be the very best in the world for about a decade, at least five years. Um, as a professional triathlete and what has helped him to be the best he can be today, which is a completely different category. Someone who looks like he could still win an Ironman at age 50, um, but who in fact still is working on himself and his own happiness and his own life direction and purpose as he is a husband, father, and guide to many So please go and check Tim out at Tim DeBoom on Instagram and you can sign up for his newsletter there again. You won't be spammed because if you signed up, you signed up. That's on you. (laughs) All right, everybody. That's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.